The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Holy God, will you show us your majesty and your glory? Will you bring blooming and blossoming to the desert? Primarily the desert that is within, would you bring blooming? Bring forth color and life. Show us yourself. We are weak, fallen people. My brothers and sisters here, myself, our friends here, we are weak and fallen. We lack vision. We lack focus. Rather, we redirect our focus onto that which does not blossom and does not bring life, but fades away, the flowers of the field that die. Lord, change our perspective, I pray. Would you use your word a little bit this morning towards that end to refine us, to refine your people, to draw others to yourself and make them your people. Lord, we are met here as a, a, the part, of, a part of the church that's gathered all around the world to lift you up, to honor you, to drink you in, and I pray that you would do that in your church worldwide and in your church right here in this place. Come and be in our midst. Give clarity to my thoughts, Lord. Give truth to my lips. Give openness to hearts here. Speak, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. The film series Band of Brothers tells the true story of a World War II American Airborne Infantry Company as it fights its way through Europe. In one episode of that series, if you saw it, the Allies, the Americans, take part in a massive airborne assault into German-occupied Holland. Of course, they're landing behind the, the main line, so they're not knowing what to expect, and they, they come down ready for combat. But when they get there, there aren't any Germans in sight, but there is a whole town of surprised Dutch civilians. And after they get over the initial shock of having their normal morning interrupted by a whole bunch of armed Americans, they realize what's happened. Liberation. The Allies have arrived and we are liberated, set free. And the party begins. Word spreads like fire. Everybody gathers to the town. Celebration erupts. Everybody shows their joy in slightly different ways. The old men, they weep. Old women give away food. The young girls give away kisses and flowers. It's, nobody told them to do this. There wasn't an organizer of, on Liberation Day, we will do this and such. It spontaneously erupts. That's what happens when people realize they've been liberated, delivered. Dancing and singing and shouting. Bands play, car horns honk, flags fly. Joy. How come we're not like that? We, the church, we have been delivered, have we not? And from something far more significant than just an occupying army. That has happened to us, but why don't we look like it? Always. 
Sometimes, yes, but why don't we look like it? I'm not saying that there should be a parade every day, but there should be something in us that says, Joy, I've been delivered. It's not there, why not? This morning we're going to talk a little bit about deliverance and the response of thankfulness and joy that should follow from that. Last week in Acts chapter 2, we read that many wonders and signs were being done by God through the apostles. And now in in chapter 3 and on through chapter 4, we're going to look at one of those signs. Luke's going to tell us about one miracle and then relay to us all the evangelism that followed that and then the persecution that followed that. And it's going to take us several weeks to work through those couple of chapters. But this morning, we're just going to look at the first ten verses, the actual miracle itself. Now, it occurs in that whole context, but this morning being the week before Thanksgiving, I'm going to use just those ten verses, take a very narrow view of things, and use them to focus on just the topic of deliverance. So, in a a sense, I'm taking them and, and speaking topically about deliverance, and next week I'm going to put them back into the context where they belong and elaborate on them in their, with their main point in the flow of these couple of chapters. This morning I'm talking about deliverance and thanksgiving from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Let me read the passage. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John, as was their custom, were on the way to the temple to pray. It's ninth hour, it's late in the day, getting close to the evening sacrifice. And so there would have been throngs of people going to the temple, passing through this massive gate. The gate's about 60-some feet tall. Huge double doors opening up. Crowds of people pressing through. And off to the side there, there's a lame man sitting there. Try to put yourself in his place. He's over 40 years old. You're over 40 years old. Never taken a step in your life. It don't mean that you limp or that you use a crutch. Never walked. Lame from birth. Has to be carried around. And so people carry you around and drop you off every day here at the temple. And you sit here by the gate begging for money. It's humiliating. And it's deadening. Your soul dried up a long time ago. All you do is you sit here in the dust and you look at people's feet as they walk by to go pray. And you hope, just hope, somebody will give you something. You're kind of wondering if it's even worth going on living. But you do go on living day after day and year after year like this. 
just sitting there crying out, alms for the poor. And you are poor. You are absolutely destitute. Not because you're a slacker, but because in this society, it's impossible for someone in your condition to earn a living. You're utterly dependent on mercy offerings, a few coins here and a few coins there. And so you call out, alms, everybody who passes by. Oh, here comes two people now. Maybe they'll stop and give me something. For some reason, that day, this person caught Peter's attention. Probably walked by him a number of times. Those people usually don't catch our attention. We usually overlook them and carry on with our business. But this day, Peter's drawn to him. And he and John look at him and call out, look at us. Now this guy, it already said, he saw them. But he sees thousands of people every day, but doesn't actually see anybody anymore. So Peter calls, hey, I mean, look at me. Give me your full attention. So the lame man does, expecting to receive a gift. And the first thing Peter says, I don't have any money. You can sense the deflation there. You called my attention to tell me you can't help me. Great. I don't have any money, but what I do have, that I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You, who've never taken a step in your whole life, you, who don't really have any muscles in your legs even from 40 years of never using them, take my hand, stand up, and walk. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know where it came from, but I do know this. Jesus of Nazareth has authority over it. Take my hand and stand up. What do you do with that? This isn't the first time you've heard of Jesus. He taught in the temple frequently, and you spend a lot of time there heard of him, maybe even heard him teach, certainly heard that he claimed to be the Messiah, also probably heard that he'd been crucified. So what do you make of this? Do you take this guy's hand and do you you trust yourself to the authority, the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, this crucified one? Because if I take this guy's hand and I stand up and fall down like a sack of potatoes, this is going to be even more humiliating. There are tons of people around here that are going to laugh at me. What do you do with that? This guy believes and he takes his hand. Peter grabs him and he stands up fully, suddenly healed. Not like a newborn animal kind of wobbling on legs. Fully made strong. He leaps. He's jumping and he's running around celebrating in joy, praising God. There's a little bit of a disturbance here all of a sudden. This man is excited. It says he's walking four times, leaping twice, praising God twice. He's running circles. He practically skips into the temple to praise God along with Peter and John. And everybody there sees him and recognizes him and says, what is this? This is category blowing. Imagine somebody you know that has a visible, physical problem, injury, defect, something like that. I don't mean something that could potentially be healed like a a sore back or something. Suppose somebody lost an arm in an accident and suddenly they have a new one. All of a sudden. That's the kind of thing that happened here. That would be alarming and a little bit freaky because that does not happen. You can imagine the shock of it, but in the name of Jesus, this guy's not just standing, not just walking, he's leaping, running around. That's alarming and the people stand there and wonder, What does this mean? 
That's the passage. It's as far as we're going for this week. Now, Peter next week is going to step in and, and preach, and so we'll come back to this. But what he's talking about here, the lame man leaping for joy, this is not just a power display. This is power. It is amazing power poured out on, on behalf of this lame man, but it's more than just power. It's a sign. Pointing to Jesus, saying that Jesus is the one who fulfills Isaiah 35. I read a little bit of that in the beginning. Isaiah 35, speaking of the day of deliverance, the day of Messiah, when the desert blooms and the glory of the Lord is seen, it continues on and says, in that day, in that day the, the blind will see, the deaf will speak, the lame will leap as a deer. In that day. And continuing on, a few passages later, a few verses later, it says, In the desert, a highway will be opened, a path, a way through the wilderness called the highway of holiness. A highway that leads back to Zion, that the unclean cannot walk, but the redeemed, the ransomed of the Lord can. And when they come back, verse 10 of Isaiah 35, what do they find there? Joy, everlasting, gladness. Sorrow and sighing flee away. The people are listening, they're watching, they're listening to Peter then preach. We'll see this next week. That's what's in their minds. The lame man is leaping. That says something about Jesus. It says that the highway in the wilderness has been opened, the highway that leads back to Zion. One final thing to observe there, in thinking about Zion. Physically speaking, these people are in Zion. They're in Israel, they're in Jerusalem, they're on the Temple Mount, they're in the Temple itself. They're in Zion, but they're not in Zion. Prophets are pointing to Zion, but they're pointing to a spiritual Zion, the presence of God for real. Not just the city, but the actual presence of God where joy is found. It's a sign saying, Jesus is the way back to Zion. That's the passage. And I'm stopping there. I'm going to use just this, this portion of the passage. My purpose this morning, as I said earlier, is that you would be thankful. You'd be thankful for the deliverance that God has worked in your life and that you would know a little bit more about how to be thankful. How to be giving thanks to God for this deliverance. So what I'm after this morning, I'm using this passage to talk about that. There's, there's two parts there, that you'd be thankful and that you would know a bit of how to be thankful. Let me talk about the deliverance. It's the first part. It's the most obvious thing going on here, the, the miracle, the deliverance. And similar to what we saw in John, we have deliverance here on one plane, the physical plane, that's pointing to another deliverance on the spiritual plane. So we're going to look at this, at this deliverance, not this one, but the importance of focusing, of fixing our attention on this deliverance up here in the spiritual plane. I'm drawing this from Isaiah 35. Here's, here's the main point, first, the first main point. God is working to marvelously deliver his people back to Zion. God is doing something for his people. Various biblical terms for his people. His sheep, his chosen ones, his own. 
all of those who either are or one day will be Christians by work of grace in their lives, those people, God is working something in their lives, in your lives. He's working to deliver you back to Zion, the presence of God. The day in which God opens the highway of holiness that leads to Zion, that day has dawned, but it's still like in the early morning hours when you just see a little glimpse of light, but it's not full-blown day yet. We are in the day when we can come to Zion, but we're not all the way in Zion. Don't get confused by me mixing my metaphors there. There's day and road, the same idea is that we've started something that's not yet done. But it has started in Jesus. He's begun something. But too often, we're like a 40-year-old lame man sitting in the dirt, looking down, only wanting a few more coins today. Not dreaming of anything bigger. Satisfied if you give me some money. But God has something bigger. God has something more that he's up to. And you would be blessed to see it, blessed to receive it, blessed to live in it day by day. Think of what Zion means. Think of what it is. If he would bring you to the holy city in which he dwells in unapproachable light, in which everything always blooms and his being, his glory is revealed, Seen clearly. If He would give that to you, that which you long for in the core of your being, if He would give you His glory seen, you'd be so satisfied. It is what you're made for, to see glory. We know that, not just because the Bible says for that, but we know it by looking at life. Why does your heart resonate when you see a, a beautiful sunset or the Grand Canyon or the mountains? Why do you get turned on by intricate, creative things? Why do you revel in beauty, in people or in nature? Why do you love to figure things out, build things, construct things? Why do you love community? You love all of those things because they are shadows. They are reflections. They carry God's fingerprints. Run all of those back. That's who God is. Stunning and majestic and beautiful and creative and intricate. Relational. Loving. All of these things that turn your heart on here. Do so because God made your heart to be turned on by that sort of thing. We see it in miniature here. It's writ large there. God Himself is all of those things. If you'd see Him, you'd be so satisfied. You'd be so enthralled. As the passage says in Isaiah, joy would be poured on your head. That far surpasses any kind of champagne poured on World Series champions. It's a great big celebration. They pour champagne on themselves. Next day, they're hungover and the clothes smell. And that's it. 
It seemed like joy that night, and the next day it proved empty. This is joy poured on you that is forever, the passage says. Gladness. A joy that sorrow and sighing flee away from. That's what He means to deliver you to. Zion. His presence, His beauty, His splendor in intricate detail and in tremendous grandeur. It's what you're made for. We spend most of our time and energy chasing something far smaller. What do we chase? What do we long for and work for? Get happy when we receive and get angry when we don't. Well, lots of other things, but all of them together essentially are stuff that makes this life right here tangible and physical on this plane. Not all bad things. Some of them are very good. But they're all right here. Toys, jobs, vacations, health, security and relationships and meaningful work and relaxation and pleasure. All the stuff that's over here, that's the miniature version. That's the reflection of, the shadow, the Bible will use that word, of this. We always find ourselves focused right here. You can almost see this graphically in the man sitting on the ground. His eyeballs are at kneecap height. He doesn't even look people in the eye. And he certainly doesn't look beyond them to something else. We are driven in pursuit of life here, making it work out, of surviving, thriving, growing, building, achieving. We're hard after that. And bless God, God often gives us things in this realm right here. I hope as you thought and reflected, you had many things to write down and put in this bucket, and you had to just choose one or two, but there were many things that you could have written down because he's done so much here in this realm. He does give us many things that we should be thankful for. More things than we even realize. He gives us things that really we, we don't receive, like who knows how many car accidents they haven't been in. He gives us things like that too. And we should think about them and write them down and be thankful for them. The problem is, an an indication of our fallenness and really an indictment of our fallenness is how we only focus on these things and give so much of our time and energy to them. Are so controlled by either achieving them or failing to achieve them. It's an indictment of us. It reveals where our hearts really are, what we really love, what we really worship. Things here on this level in the creation rather than the Creator Himself. That's who we are. And that's tragic because that means that we are enemies of His, set against Him. When we worship this instead of Him, We have become idolaters. That's who we are in our nature. We are born against Him. We are sinners set away from Him. And we run down that path with full commitment. Resisting Him. Passively and aggressively resisting Him. Turning our hearts after ourselves. Setting up our own authorities, our own rules. 
attempting to conform the world to ourselves. This sets us against Him and it puts us under His wrath and curse. And that is a huge problem. The wrath and curse of God is a huge problem. Due to every one of us, indicated by the fact that we give our lives to this stuff so consistently. That's what we seek. God has more for us. What are we going to do about that? What is God going to do about that? There is a Zion. We don't want to go there. What's he going to do? This is where Jesus comes into things. Think back through, perhaps read again later, John chapter 9, John chapter 11, where Jesus deals with a man born blind and a man with a terminal illness. Very similar to the man born lame here. All similar sort of things. There is a Zion. There is a highway of holiness that leads to Zion that the unclean cannot walk. And we all are unclean by birth, by nature. Who can walk this? The redeemed, the ransomed of the Lord, says Isaiah 35. How do we get onto the highway? Well, God's made a way, but the way that He made, we're not that interested in. So He has purpose in life to draw our attention to this Jesus. Read John 9, John 11, you read this here, and you see He has a purpose in the sorrows and in the pains. A purpose in the creation of lame people. A purpose in the creation of blind people. A purpose in the creation of terminal illness. A purpose in all the pains and sorrows that strike us in life. Now these things are difficult to wrestle with. How do we, how do we parse out what's evil and what's God? It's hard to wrestle with that, and we can think about that later. But what's clear in these passages is that it's not accidental. God has a purpose. They ask him, Jesus, why did this happen? He says, this happened so that the glory of God in me could be made known. People ignore me and slight me and overlook me, but these things happen so that people will see me and will be drawn to me and perhaps embrace me by faith and come to Zion. That's what he's doing. He's delivering his people to Zion by the way, often by the way of hardship in life that causes us to let go of the trinkets that we're grabbing hold of in our minds and with our hands. That shows us the emptiness of this stuff and shows us the majesty of Jesus so that we look at him and we grab a hold of him. If you will, he's the on-ramp onto the highway of holiness. He's the redeemer, the one who cleanses us. So we can walk this path. If you're a Christian, that's what He's done in your life. He's grabbed your attention, cleansed you, put you on the path. As I said earlier, it's a path that we're not all the way there yet, but we're part of the way there. We experience the presence of God now here in this life. Nothing like it will be then, but we experience some of it now. And He's done that in Christ. This is the greatest treasure in all of the world. A humble servant. And so that we not miss Him, 
God has and is working to lift him up in front of our eyes and draw us to him. This is the gospel. Presented a little differently in this passage, a little differently in Isaiah. It's the gospel, though. Come into the presence of God by being redeemed. And when you come there, you find joy and gladness that chases away sorrow. This should wow you. As you sit through and think, what has God done for me this year? What has God done in my life? What has God given me? There are many tangible physical things here on this plane right here. Praise God for them. But the thing that should be the the huge elephant in the room that you can't avoid, that you can't overlook is, He's delivered me to Zion and daily I experience that. He's brought me into His presence and I know joy and I know the end of sorrow. A little bit now, a little bit more, a little bit more and one day it'll be everything I know. It should loom large on your mind. It's the main thing that the Bible means to communicate to you. It's the main thing God wants to do in your heart. To lift up Christ and bring you joy because of it. If that happens, if you see Him, you will respond in some way. You will. You have to. If you don't see that, if it's not gripping you, then I would suggest two things. One, you don't know your own sin. And two, you don't know the holiness of God. When you know your own sin and you know the holiness of God, you realize, I was in a world of hurt. And Jesus delivered me out of that. Wow! It would alarm you much more than seeing a lame man walk. Much more than that. That kind of thing doesn't happen that a holy God makes peace with a sinner. But it does in Jesus, in His name. If you'll see that, you'll have to respond in some way. God has and is working to deliver His people back to Zion, back into His presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's what He's doing. How should we respond? It's the second point. We thank Him. I'm going to emphasize thanking because it's Thanksgiving. We thank Him By coming to Zion to obtain joy and gladness there. That might seem kind of odd, but think that through. He's made a way to get to Zion to obtain joy and gladness. We thank Him by coming to Zion and receiving joy and gladness. That's what He says in Isaiah 10.35, that there's fullness of joy, there's gladness, there's sorrow flees away. We thank Him by coming. Think think about this. If you were to, for instance, give your child a brand new bike, you you give her a bike, and she says, thank you. And then the bike sits in the garage untouched for a year. Not because she outgrew it or had a broken leg or something, but just because she didn't want to use it. Sat there for a whole year. Maybe she rode her old bike or a friend's bike or, or never rode a bike at all. What would you conclude at the end of that year? 
didn't really like it, I guess. Wasn't that great of a gift. Said thank you, maybe she was thankful for my intention, but she's not really very thankful for that gift because she didn't use it. On the other hand, she says thanks, and you see her every day, all day long, tearing around the neighborhood on this bike. She lives on it. What do you conclude then? She loves it. It's her life. She said thanks, and she's thankful. She means it. Same word at the beginning, thank you. But the proof of actual thankfulness is in the using of the gift that follows. Do you see that? That's very important in understanding how we are to respond to God in thanksgiving. If we just wrote down this piece of paper, for instance, I'm thankful for my deliverance from my idolatry of the world, from sin, from curse, and to heaven. And then we go out and live just like we were living. You haven't got it. He delivered you to something? Take him up on the offer. That's how you tell him, I'm really thankful for this. It's changed my life. I use it every day. He's constructed and opened up a highway that leads back to him. Run that highway. Go to him. Go to his presence. How do you do that? If you're not yet a Christian... You can't walk this highway until you turn to Jesus. Think about it like this. He's the on-ramp onto the highway. You can't get onto the highway any other way but by Jesus. You're chasing after, if you're not yet a Christian, you're chasing after, you're living by your own standards, your own attempts at holiness, to turn from that authority to a new authority. Give your heart to Him. Bible word, repent, trust, believe, have faith. You trust Him alone to make you clean. That's the only way you can get out of the highway of holiness. If Christ gives you His holiness and takes your sin away, you can get there though and you can come to God. Come to Him. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Most of us here, though, have already done that. And you're on the highway. How do you come to Zion? What do you do? Similar, in fact. You repent. And you have faith. You trust. Every morning you have faith. And you say, God, today I come to my Bible. Today I come to prayer, worship music. However it is that you come to God, I come asking you to meet me, to, to open my eyes, reveal yourself to me. I believe that here in your presence is fullness of joy, so I come, meet me. I once heard, read an analogy that helps explain, I think for me at least, the relationship between thanks, thanksgiving, and faith. See if this helps you think this through. The analogy that I read was written in the days, of, I think they were hatchbacks, where you had seats in the back that actually faced the back. Those things are illegal now, I think, but maybe they're not. Um, maybe they're just unwise. But 
the seats in the back that face the back. I'm not sure what kind of car that would be, but modern station wagon. It says like this, that one of those cars, thanks, thanksgiving, is seated in that back seat. And faith is in the driver's seat. And you're driving down a highway. On the other side of the highway, there are billboards for the oncoming traffic. As you're driving towards the billboard, what do you see? Scaffolding. Don't see anything. It's a big board blocking the view. So as you're coming at it, you don't see anything. But as you pass it, Thanksgiving in the back seat says, Wow! Look at that! Faith in the front seat says, What? I didn't see anything. The picture on that billboard was amazing. Or another one passes. Whoa! What a profound thought! Wow, what a cool story written on that billboard. And faith in the front seat can't see anything. Wants to stop, turn around, and Thanksgiving in the back seat says, No, keep going so I can see more. Keep driving on so that I can see more of these things that are amazing and wonderful. And so that I can shout out and give thanks. Faith drives, and it drives forward based on what thanks says it just saw. You can't see it yet. It's still out there, and it looks just like scaffolding. It looks like pain and hurt, danger, fear. But you know, yesterday something happened where God met you. And you're thankful for that. You know it. You saw it. Thanksgiving then drives you by faith forward to encounter that new challenge, whatever it is. To come to the Bible again this morning that looks just like ink on a page again. But you know you've met him here before. He'll meet you again. Cause you to step out and take a risk. He's come through before. He will come through again. You come to his presence by faith based on what he's done for you before. What you see him having done before. That's how it works as a Christian. You come to where God is Ask him to show up, trusting that he will. Maybe not immediately, but he will. And when he comes, something's going to bubble out of you. This guy's changed, he's healed, he jumps and leaps for joy. Isaiah 12, a passage we've been talking about in the uh, life training course in the morning, has a progression there of salvation to God becoming our salvation and our joy, our strength and our song, it says. Then it moves on and says, let us sing of Him to the nations. If you're not singing of Him to the nations, has He in fact become your song? If there's not some bubbling over, if there's not some response of of exclamation, has it gripped you? Are you experiencing His presence? If you are, joy and gladness cover you. Not boredom. Not frustration. Not, my goodness, when will this be over? He's glorious. He's glorious. Are you seeing Him? 
Do you get some taste of his deliverance? I can't make it happen. You can't even make it happen. But it has happened before, has it not? If you're a Christian, it has. If it hasn't happened, you're not a Christian. It has happened before. By faith, move towards him again. And say, God, you met me before. Meet me again. Grip me. Fill me with joy. And send me out singing. It's what fuels evangelism, in fact. A living and vibrant encounter with God. God is delivering you to Zion. He wants you to respond in thanksgiving. And what that means is that He wants you to come into His presence and experience His deliverance day by day by day by day by day and then blab about it everywhere. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.